Welcome to an AM Healthcare Industry Group podcast series focusing on human capital and workforce management issues. Today, we talk with three chief nursing officers about how the current nursing shortage is dramatically impacting their organizations today. To see the kind of death that we have now, it's just unheard of. Our people are not used to this kind of death. They're not. And it's breaking their hearts. It's very hard for them, especially the more junior staff and even the senior staff, have, because we're in the business of saving lives. Um, I can't tell you how many times I have gone into my ICU and just seen nurses sobbing. It is hard on them. And I think that um, this isn't what they signed up for. Hello, and welcome to AM's podcast on how the current nursing shortage is impacting healthcare organizations across the U.S. I'm Bianca Briola. I lead our human capital and workforce management practice within Alvarez and Marcel's healthcare industry group. I'm also joined by my colleague, Nancy Logal. She's a senior director at AM and she's been a nurse for almost 30 years across many different areas. So I'm very excited to have her join us today. We have senior nursing executives here to share their experience managing a nursing workforce. And you can imagine they have had challenges, I'm sure, uh, facing the front lines of the pandemic. And now as we look forward, health systems across the country are really facing an extreme staffing shortage, among many other challenges. Joining us today is Nicole Kirkenbush. She's the Chief Nursing and Performance Officer for Monument Health. Nicole, thank you for coming. Can you tell us a little bit about your organization? Yes, Bianca, thank you so much too for having us and for um, hosting this, I think, important dialogue. As you said, it is incredibly challenging in healthcare today and the nursing shortage just adds to many other things we're dealing with. So, um, yep, I hail from the western side of South Dakota. For those that may not be familiar with that geography in our um, great country, it is near Mount Rushmore. So, today I'm sitting about 20 minutes from the carved president's heads in the stone, and um, we live in a very um, interesting geographic area in that the nearest really location to us that has any additional health services is anywhere from a five to a six hour drive. And so we are the really the sole provider for tertiary healthcare in our um, area. We've got five hospitals, two um, PPS hospitals and three critical access hospitals. Um, we also have eight specialty and surgical centers uh, along with 40, over 40 medical clinics and other healthcare service centers. So um, we have long-term care, we have hospice, we have um, full hospital services, um, a wonderful NICU, a level two trauma center, um, and really just seeing an explosive growth in the services we need to provide our community. So um, we've got a lot of people moving to this area. Some of you out there listening might even be thinking about it. So um, I think we were listed number two on a recent list of uh, those areas where people are moving to. So that growth is causing us to really rethink the services we provide, um, try to expand in many areas. And certainly all that expansion requires support from nursing and other healthcare professionals. And today I'm excited to talk about, you know, what are we doing and what can we do to make sure that nursing support is, is there when we need it. Vicki Orto, she's the Chief Nursing and Patient Care Services Officer at Duke Regional Hospital. Vicki, can you tell us about Duke Regional and the system that you belong to? 
Yes, Bianca, and thank you so much for having me today. Duke Regional Hospital is part of the Duke Health System in Durham, North Carolina. We are a 388-bed community hospital um, in urban Durham. And we're about 10 minutes from the Quaternary Care Hospital um, we call Duke Maine Hospital. We have three hospitals, one in Raleigh and two in Durham. And um, just like our last speaker, we are growing, just like Bianca said, very, very much. And we just opened on this campus a brand new um, behavioral health center, which hasn't been done in my nursing lifetime. Um, and it is just fabulous. So anything that's um, behavioral health and our health system is now on this campus. We just opened up a brand new ambulatory surgery center. We're opening up another one um, for the health system. We just opened a new pediatric tower. We're constantly, um, trying to take care of the family members that are moving to Duke or to um, Durham. And I wanna say, I think it's um, 10 people every day. The, that was my um, understanding. So our community hospital is kind of a community hospital on steroids. We actually do open heart surgery here. We do um, big orthopedics for lots of babies and are having the same issues as all the hospitals across the nation with the nursing shortage. So thank you, Bianca. We also are joined today with Dr. Angeline Peters-Lewis. She's the Vice President, Chief Operating Officer, and Chief Nurse Executive at Barnes Jewish Hospital in St. Louis, Missouri. Angeline, uh, it'd be great to have you uh, share a little bit about Barnes Jewish Hospital, please. Thank you. Nancy, thank you for having me, and I'm really excited about having this conversation with my colleagues. Um, we are privileged at Barnes Jewish Hospital to be a safety net hospital. We're very proud of our mission as well as being the tertiary referral center for this region. Um, we have been on the top, the nation's list of top 20 hospitals for the last quarter of a century. And we are proud of that. We know that only happens because we have 10,000 amazing caregivers that show up every day and make sure that our mission comes to life. So that's a little bit about Barnes Jewish Hospital. We're also part of BJC healthcare system. And within the family, we have 15 hospitals and lots of outpatient sites. And so I'm excited to continue to talk about how we can um, navigate through this nursing shortage and continue to improve care and excellence. Thank you. And lastly, we have Diane Rafferty, who's our managing director with A&M and thought she's had many, many uh, similar experiences as all of you and give her a few moments here to just talk about some of the uh, trends that she's seeing related to the nursing shortage. Diane, would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you, Nancy. Um, yes, I've been with A&M for a long period of time. Most of us have been in the nursing career for a period of time and we've seen nursing shortages through the different, you know, over the years. This one is really different. Um, and I, I, I'm very interested to hear how you're dealing with this. I'm, you know, we work across the states and we see some states looking at different things such as scope of practice and, and other caregivers, but we know you need that registered nurse at that bedside, assessing that patient, creating that care plan. No one else does it better than a nurse. And so, and we are all struggling with so many different systems with the staffing shortage. So thank you very much for participating with this. When we think about workforce management as a topic, you know, it becomes pretty much the only focus for many of you, right? As you think about staffing, making sure that your patients are taken care of, et cetera. And that's become increasingly challenging in the most recent surge as well. Can you share some of your insights on how we got here? I know that there was a nursing shortage and a clinical professional shortage before COVID, but why are we here? 
I guess is a, a question for you. Why are we here? Angeline, do you have any insights? I'll try to share a couple. I think one way to look at this is through the context of um, the law of supply and demand. Pre-pandemic, we had low supply and increased demand, but there was some good news in that demand. The demand was because not only because there was a shortage of nurses at the bedside, but because there's tremendous recognition across many different industries about the value and skills and unique contribution of nurses. So nurses had many opportunities beyond the bedside, as well as we didn't have the infrastructure to make sure that everybody who wanted to be a nurse had access to that education. And then during a pandemic, which times pandemic and global crisis really um, expose your vulnerabilities, right? And so in this case, if you look at it through the law of supply and demand, we've had tremendous demand for our services, both for acute and complex services and low supply. So that's part of the reason that we got here. In addition to, as this global crisis has impacted many as you're on the front line and we had an acceleration of retirements and acceleration of those leaving the professions and we don't yet understand the impact of COVID in, pers in terms of morbidity and mortality on the nursing profession. So all those factors converging in a global crisis have really um, heightened the nursing shortage and the impacts to patient care. Nicole, I don't know if you were going to share this, but I know that you come from the military just like Vicki does. Can you discuss a little bit about your time in the military versus now and, and why we're here? You know, why are we facing this shortage? Yeah, sure. Um, and thanks, Bianca. I, I did spend um, my, what I thought was going to be my career in the military and retired and um, never would have imagined I would have been working like I have been the last two years. Um, I think this pandemic, frankly, is is tougher than anything I did during my military career, and I never, ever thought I would be able to say that. And so I think one of the pieces is that this pandemic has really caused people to rethink just about everything. Um, you know, it's given people pause to say, am I in the right place geographically, personally, with my family? Um, professionally, it's given people options as well to do that rethinking. And, um, you know, there's been things that have changed, like the way that we work. Um, we're all doing a podcast. All of us are sitting in different locations. Um, we can see each other. We can hear each other. We can do this effectively. I'm not sure we would have said this was even possible three years ago. Um, and so I think it's changed the way that we think about working. So. You know, one thing I see is that we've got nurses who I never thought would consider doing something different, considering it. And it's because their spouse can work remotely. It's because we have options for online school for their children. Um, we have long-term folks who we thought would be with us for their whole careers making different choices. Um, another thing that I think is different for me, and I was shocked at, frankly, when I came out of the military was the removal of the licensed practical nurse from many of our care settings. And so, you know, I, I came here originally not in a nursing role, but in an IT leadership role. When I took on the nursing role and I started to discover, you know, kind of where we were at, I, I asked, well, where are all of those LPNs? Um, in the military, it was very team-based. Um, it was a nurse with um, extenders working to you know, get as much done as possible, both inpatient and ambulatory. That was true in our clinics. And um, when I got here, it was 
interesting that we've moved to more of a primary nursing model. I understand the idea, but I think it's frankly hurt us in the end. Um, we're now trying to figure out how to go to team nursing. And so we've got to work with our local LPN programs, um, our MA, medical assistant programs, nursing assistant programs. We've got to figure out how to build those extenders in and how to continue to give quality safe care with the team-based model. And I'll tell you, I know that I have uh, people that will argue that with me. Um, and many of our nurses will argue that with me. But the reality is that um, we cannot solve this problem by hiring more people. They just are not there. Thank you, Nicole, for that response. And thank you for your service. And Vicki, thank you for your service. I know that in your region of the country, you might have a different perspective as to why we're facing this huge shortage. What are your thoughts? Why are we here? Well, I would agree with Angelina and Nicole, absolutely. Um, and But I would add another reason that I'm sure that they're aware of is that um, the pandemic has really changed how our nurses feel about their professional life. Um, when they were in school, they did not um, learn about the things that maybe our generation, my generation learned about when they were in school. When I was um, an, a young RN, we had death every day because people died of heart attacks every day. Um, but that was many, many years ago. To see the kind of death that we have now, it's just unheard of. Our people are not used to this kind of death. They're not. And it's breaking their hearts. It's very hard for them, especially the more junior staff and even the senior staff, have, because we're in the business of saving lives. Um, I can't tell you how many times I have gone into my ICU and just seen nurses sobbing. It is hard on them. And I think that um, this isn't what they signed up for. Um, and, and it's harder when you see, you know, politically what's happening in our country. That's really hard on them. Um, and then, you know, the whole the visitor thing where, you know, people don't want to put their masks on when they come in and see their loved ones. All that's really hard on them. And I think that um, just like um, uh, Nicole said and um, Angeline, they are thinking that I have other options. I don't need to do this. I just got off a meeting before this one and heard how many of my nurses are going traveling. Uh, the traveler topic, we we have to talk about it, right? Oh, God, yes. <laughs> we have to talk about it. We can't not talk about it. And I know many of you are users of travelers and apparently you're donating staff to traveling. Vicki, it sounds like you're keeping oh, up some yes. staff. <laughs> yes. Diane, what are your what's your thinking about the state of the traveler business and how I just we're constantly something. Bianca, did, I didn't I, I just see something that, that they're they're looking at this federally. Um yes, I, I thought I yes. just saw something. That, yes. Because really, yeah. it is price gouging. It, it, it is, and it's taking advantage of a crisis that, um, I mean, look, we're, there's entrepreneurs out there, and they can figure out how to make a buck. And like you said, I mean, I hear from other hospitals that have an ICU nurse working with them that's making a certain amount, and then comes back in a week as a traveler making five times amount, and bragging about it to the other staff. And, you know, we've always had to rely on registry and travelers as to supplement our staff, but this has gotten ridiculous. And I think we've all seen, you know, I won't name the state, the advertisement that I got that, you know, I could make 
you know, $26,000 for doing four OR shifts in, you know, and plus my housing was covered. So this is price gouging and this is creating a very awful environment. The federal government is people have, I've told everybody that this is going to have to be solved politically and through the legislative. We can't do it as hospital operators. We, we can't fight the fight. But then there's also the other side of it is how much regulation do we want in this? But the, at least we've gotten everybody's attention because there's not a nurse under the age of 30 who hasn't said, look, I'll go per diem for you, but I'm going to travel. I'm going to do traveling because I want to put my kids through school. And that's, that's a hard argument, but there has to be some regulation. And what I'm, I think is that maybe for a period of time during a, a national crisis or that when you start to look at what is being offered, there does need to be some regulation of this and how that's done. I don't know, but I, it makes me feel that they're finally legislated in certain states are starting to listen. I think Diane, to add to yours, I think we'd have to broaden the discussion from the focus on nursing to implications on the overall cost of healthcare, because we know that the prices that are being charged are not sustainable to our organizations. And ultimately we will have to pass those costs on either to consumers or we'll be looking forward to renegotiate our contracts. So I think what we're united around is keeping the health, the cost of healthcare affordable. And if we don't regulate the travel agencies, we won't be able to honor that commitment. Diane, I would like to maybe comment though that um, I frankly don't have a lot of hope that the legislation is going to get picked up. It's been in the news since February of 2021. And frankly, I think there are reasons and bigger maybe bigger powers that be that really don't want this regulated. Um, it's going to push us to more mergers and acquisitions, and it's gonna push healthcare out of the rural spots in our, our US and into the cities. And I think there are some folks that really want that to happen. So, you know, I, I get my nurses asking me all the time, what are you doing about it? I have nurses that contact our senators every week and they get emails back, they understand the problem, there does frankly not seem to be any appetite in this country right now to solve this problem. So while I'm excited to hear that it continues to be talked about, I guess I would ask our listeners maybe to see what they can do to raise this, because I agree it's not about nursing. This is about the state of healthcare in our country. And I think it's going to actually take away health resources, especially from those in our rural areas where it may be needed most. And so I, I, it is a very, hot topic for me, a, a passionate topic for me. So it's gonna continue to be a very hot topic for us. I, I, I agree with you, very difficult subject, but I think as Angeline said, looking at local markets and how you deal with local markets, we're all dealing with this, not an easy problem to solve. Totally agree. Well, that's a great segue. You all are based in different states and regions across the country. I'd love to hear about what your relative states and regions are doing to respond to these staffing issues. What are they doing to support staffing issues? And Nicole, I'd like to start with you. You correct me if I'm wrong. I remember maybe about a month or two ago, I saw an advertisement on LinkedIn come by for your organization, Monument Health, and the governor of your state was advertising, come, come here, come here and work here. Um, Please, you know, elaborate on that if I'm wrong and tell me a little bit about what the state is doing to support you. Sure, um, and, and if you know or follow politics, South Dakota is a fairly conservative state. 
Um, our governor is fairly forefront. Governor Kristi Noem has a lot of um, attention right now. And they have not been willing at this point, um, and I understand why, to uh, fund us for any of our labor. Um, they are um, putting forward right now in our legislature, they're, I think we're right in the midst of passing a budget. Um, in that budget, there is a proposal for an increase to hospitals. Um, it would be really through sort of the Medicaid program, but to really help increase the pay for our frontline caregivers, which is wonderful. So that's one thing that's on the table. We'll see how the legislative session pans out. Um, Governor Nome, we do very much appreciate her efforts in really putting it out there that we do have a nursing shortage in this state and that um, what the benefits are maybe for somebody moving here and some of those things include some of our cost of living, we don't have a state income tax and so there are some really wonderful things and we are very happy that she was able to put that PSA together. It was representing the three major health systems in our state and unlike some of the other um, representatives on this call, we, we really only have three big health systems which um, is, is kind of unique. We don't have 40 or 50 and so we work together a lot on these things. Um, we have not seen, and I'm, I'm almost glad really that we haven't seen our state paying for travelers. I know some states have actually um, subsidized the hospitals to bring in travelers, which frankly has raised the cost. And so I, I really don't wanna see that. Um, I also um, have had discussion with our representatives to include our governor about things that they can do for us to help us with the cost of nursing school. Um, they're very interested in trying to decrease the cost of schooling to increase the incentives for, you know, why somebody would go to nursing school. We work closely with our Board of Regents here, which oversees our university, our state university system, to increase the number of nursing slots in our nursing program. So, you know, going back to how did we get here, many of our nursing schools haven't been able to accept all the people that want to go to nursing school for various reasons. So I think increasing our slots has been really important too. So. We have a very, I think, strong relationship with our, our state leaders and, um, and have their attention too. And they know they, they wanna try and help solve this. And it, it also goes to things like having affordable housing available. We actually have nurses that have turned down jobs recently because there are no housing, there's no housing available in our area. So our state is also helping us with things like that. It's not just a one, one and done sort of solution. I wish money were all of it, but it's not. Um, so I, I think I'm very proud of how South Dakota's reacted and um, very proud to continue partnering with them in some of those efforts. Vicki, I'm sure you can relate to some of what Nicole is saying related to housing and, and other limitations yes. in North Carolina, right? Yes. And yeah. one thing that Nicole mentioned she doesn't have is a lot of competition with other health systems. You have a lot of competition for resources in your region. So I'm curious, you know, how, how is North Carolina the Carolinas, your region, the triangle responding to support the staffing issues that you're having? So we do, we, the one thing we are very fortunate uh, for is that we have a, quite a few nursing schools. So along with those health systems goes quite a few nursing schools. Now, is it enough? No, but I'm fortunate. I actually have one at my community hospital that's um, 125 years old. It's the oldest uh, nursing school in North Carolina. And we just turned it into a four-year school two years ago. It was a diploma school, of course. Uh, but we, so, so we're not as bad off as we could be. But we are working feverishly to grow um, the number of students in our nursing schools 
and everybody's trying to play nice in the sandbox. We, we are very competitive within a 50 mile radius. So everybody's watching, you know, who gets a raise, what kind of, what kind of program we have. We just started an internal traveler program, which I'm sure many of you are considering or have already done. And it's been very popular. Um, we have, we have 90 people so far that have done um, the internal traveler program so that they didn't go and leave. Um, so we didn't feel like we had a choice because they could go down the road, not really even leave the state, you know, not even really, you know, not, they could, they could stay in their same homes and travel down the road and travel. So we have to be on our game all the time. We have, I think, six different programs that came up in the last year, like extra shift incentives. That's just the most recent one um, that we did within the last six weeks. And our staff have been responding to it, but you know, they're tired, just like you all know. Um, so we have to fill, you know, the hole somehow. And operating room nurses, um, as I just heard um, one of you talk about, they're they're really at a premium. So we're working on special programs to get um, more students into operating room nurses. We are also um, in the business of trying to encourage people to come in internationally. Um, so we're we're doing all the kind of innovations. We're looking at virtual nursing, um, seeing how far we can push that envelope. It's like you said, it's about 90% of our job now. That's all we do is work on all the things that will keep staff taking care of our patients. 90%, 90%. That's, yes. that's so, so shocking. And I wonder, Angeline, I'm sure you're really focused on nursing professional practice, but if so much of your time is spent on just staffing, that, that must be incredibly challenging in a very large metropolitan area that you're in. What kind of support are you getting? Getting lots of support from across the state, our healthcare system, and from our incredible teams every day. Um, we're proud in this region that we have three major healthcare systems in the context of Missouri is, Missouri is primarily rural and many of those rural, the rural parts of our state have a very low vaccination rate, which creates tremendous demand for healthcare services. And we're trying to do that together as three healthcare systems, making sure that we load, level and share um, the responsibility for caring for patients that need access to tertiary care. At the state level, we're advocating for federal resources to come in and support our teams. We're also advocating for um, relaxing some of the scope of practice challenges and regulatory issues that we face. Um, so those are the things that we're doing on the day-to-day -day in our organization. We're really trying to connect with teams. If you go to the people, they'll tell you what they need. And as we talked about before earlier, there's a lots of re-examining and our teams really wanna know that they are valued, appreciated, and that we're living the values because they all are being called to this higher calling based on what we see in this global crisis. So we're uh, focusing on the macro level with all the um, policy things that I talked about and then on the local level with our teams and responding to what their needs are day to day. And we try to look at this through the, through the lens of trauma-informed care and support them as they manage through these multiple traumas. Vicki Orto, Angeline Peters-Lewis, and Nicole Kirkenbush, thank you so much for your amazing insights. I'm so excited to hear what else you have to share. We have a part two coming, and part two will get deeper into this issue of the nursing shortage, and I cannot wait to hear about all of your experiences and insights.
If you like this podcast and are interested in more insights, please feel free to visit alvarezandmarcel.com. Alvarez and Marcel. Leadership. Action. Results.